So tonight as we come to chapter 32 of Numbers, we read 31 and 32 the other night on Tuesday. And 32 is where the two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes decide that they want to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. We know that Israel's 12 tribes, the Levites are set apart. They don't get a land inheritance. So then the tribe of Joseph is subdivided into Manasseh and Ephraim. Thus we have 12 plus 1, really. Now the Levites have the city property and the common lands, but no large territories like the 12 tribes would get. And God originally promised the dimensions of a land to Abraham over 400 years before for his descendants. And it's promised to Israel, reaffirmed. And the promised land is on that side of the Jordan River. Not the east side, but the west side. And so he's given them the victories on the east side over Sihon and Og and the various things that happened there. And they're all there on the plain of Moab. And they're just a few months from crossing over to enter into the promises that were made centuries before to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it's all coming to fruition. And they're, they're on the cusp of just this incredible journey. We saw the census of the old generation. Everyone over 20 has died in the wilderness for their unbelief except for Joshua and Caleb. And now there's a new census of the next generation. And they're, they're, they're rising up. The, the planet always is handed off to a new generation. And it's for them, the people of covenant, like Scott was just saying, we're, we're people of covenant of love. And God's covenant with his people Israel was a covenant of love. And there they are. And they're on the, the verge of entering the promised land. And we pick that up background as we pick up the text tonight. So we read this. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was placed for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Shabam, Nebo, and beyond, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barina to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day and he swore an oath saying, surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they have not wholly followed me except Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenzanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. This is the initial dialogue. So these leaders of these tribes, representing hundreds of thousands of people, they come to Moses, almost like we saw with the daughters of Zolophat, how they came to Moses, the sisters, and they said, hey, we got, we've been thinking about something. And they put forth what they were thinking. And now these leaders from these tribes, Gad and Reuben, come forth. And they're like, hey, we've been thinking about things. And we have some ideas. And we want to run this by you and, and see what you think. And Moses' initial reaction is classic Moses. Like, what are you guys thinking? 
Like, have you learned nothing in 48 years of wilderness wandering? Have you learned nothing? Like, this, this is a bad idea. Well, as the story unfolds for the rest of the chapter, we don't need to read it. I'll summarize it for us. They come back and say, no, no, what we'll do is we will build, you know, forts here and stalls for all of our herds, and we'll go, we'll go over with you guys, and we'll conquer the land with you, with the other tribes, and then when the war's done and everyone's got their inheritance, then we'll come back to our inheritance. And Moses like, okay, well, if you do that, okay, if you do that, if that's what you want to do and you do that, then you can do that, but know that if you don't do that, that your sin will find you out. So you need to do it. If you're still going to do it, you're going to do it. And they said, yeah, we're going to do it. So then they consolidated their land on the east side. In fact, the half-tribe of Manasseh joins in on it. And they, they commit and they take a couple more villages and cities and say, these are ours now. And so two and a half tribes settle on the east side of the Jordan River, which is, you know, obviously facing east where the Midianites had been the Moabites, the Ammonites, all these people historically over there, what is now modern Jordan, and they're on that side of the river. That river is a natural boundary. You know, rivers, of course, in military defenses are a very, you know, they're better than walls. Rivers are natural boundaries like the Rhine in Europe and the Danube and things like that. Rivers are great boundaries for military defenses and consolidation of people and resources and retreats and stuff like that. But they choose to be on this side of the river where the people they conquered, some are still around, and they're exposed to everything on that side of the river, which is Assyria, Syria, Ammonites, Edomites, Moabites. They're all st- still there, scattered. And they say, this is where we want to be. And God said, okay, that's your choice. Now, I want to do a survey of the history of these tribes briefly before we get into this text tonight so you understand how it all played out. This took place around 1400 B.C., all right? So right about this time, right after this, they do go in. They, they do exactly what they said they do. They did go in with the other tribes into the promised land, and they did fight the battles, and they provided troops and everything, and they completely did what they said they're going to do. So we need to note that and say, wow, that's awesome. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy near the end, when there's prophecies being spoken about the different tribes, it says of Gad that they're like a rising lion. There were warriors, and they were Essentially, it says in that type of poetic element, they were very successful in in battle and in combat. So we know as Gad crossed over the Jordan River and helped the other tribes, they were, they're like, they're guys you want on your side. They were brave in combat and they did what they needed to do and God's word affirms that for us. We also know that, well, that's like prophetically speaking of what they do. We also know, which they did do. And then in the book of Joshua, which comes chronologically after this in the Bible and chronologically on the timeline, after the land was conquered, they do go back. So they go back to their families and their estates and all these things, and they build an altar. And as soon as they build this altar, it's a, it's a huge disruption for the Jewish people. Like, what, what, like what, what do we do? The other tribes are like, what are you guys doing? You'll have no other altars. We, there's a central place of worship. So the other tribes basically declare war on them and come to the Jordan River ready to wipe them out. And they come out, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. This is an altar for animal sacrifices, speaking of Christ. That's on that side of the river. This is an altar of witness that when time goes by, and we're on this side of the river, and you're on that side of the river, that you don't forget where your relatives and your family on this side of the river. This altar is to remind you that we're with you. We're, we're part of the 12 tribes. So geographically, we're separated by this river, the Jordan River, but this is a witness. So when the coming generations come, 
Future generations don't know nothing about these things. And the times that we went through, like every generation, right? Who remembers the details of World War I? You don't. I don't. And we'll soon die. Won't remember watching the news on Vietnam War, right? We'll all be gone. Like, the generations come and go. And so when they come and go, that there'll be this rock of witness that says, we're with you and we're all one in Israel, but we're on this side, outside the promised land, but a land that God conquered for us, which we saw in the text, it's our land that we chose to settle in. And like, okay, we get that. Yeah, that, that works, that works. All right, that works. Then later on, about 300 years later, at the end of the book of Judges, there's this horrible story where this woman gets raped. And um, through it all, the tribes of Israel come against the tribe of Benjamin for allowing it to happen in their territories. And so they make war. There's a civil war, a brief civil war in Israel over this. And when the war is done, and it was a bloody war, it was quick, it was violent, but when it was done, Benjamin was short of women because they were short of their numbers, and they are afraid that the tribe might actually disappear because the loss of life in the war, like a disappearing people group within the 12 tribes. So they say, now who... And they made an agreement, the rest of Israel, to go do war with Benjamin and to give none of their children to the tribe of Benjamin. So they made this hasty oath, and they said this, and they realized, that wasn't a good oath. We shouldn't have done that because now Benjamin's almost wiped out, and we've all agreed not to give any of our children to marry into the tribe of Benjamin. Who didn't go with us on this agreement? And they said, well, uh, Jabesh Gilead didn't go with us. That's this side of the Jordan, the east side. So in that brief civil war, Jabesh Gilead a major city for the east side tribes did not send people and did not make that covenant. So then the rest of Israel attacked the city of Jabesh Gilead, took the virgins and gave them to the tribe of Benjamin so they could keep the tribe alive, which is somewhat similar to the daughters of Zolophad because those women would no longer be identified with their tribes on the east side, but they're actually merged into the tribes on the west side, the tribe of Benjamin, which the daughters of Zolophad would do if they chose not to marry into their tribe, which we studied in detail a couple weeks ago. So it was a resolution. But in that story, those women came from the east side because that city did not enter into the dispute within Israel, which just shows that they were distant, right? Out of sight, out of mind. They, they were not engaged in a major event that affected all of Israel on the other side of the river. And then finally, another story about them. King Saul, we all know King Saul, the first king of Israel, he looked like a king, he acted like a king once he was the king, and his first great victory was rescuing, of all things, Jabesh Gilead, that side of the river. A cry came out where the Amorites rose up against the people on the east side because there's no natural boundary. You don't have to cross the river to get to those guys. And the Amorites got stronger, and they showed up, and they said, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wipe you out. And the Israelis on that side said, well, what can we do? And they said, well, we'll poke your eyes out, and you can pay tribute, and we'll let you live. And they said, give us one week to decide if we're going to surrender to you or fight you. Well, then they sent messengers across the river to the other side. King Saul, early on in his reign, comes across, leads a victory, and they destroy the Ammonites on that side of the, the river. And he delivers Jabez Gilead. And it's before Saul did anything wrong. So I can actually tell you something about these tribes on the east side. The one really good thing on his career stat, King Saul, was the victory that he had crossing the river to deliver them when they were besieged by the Ammonites. Not the Amorites, but the Ammonites. So that's what we have with them. Now that's around 1000 BC. So I just gave you 400 years of history of these eastern tribes. And then finally, in 722, Assyria came down and conquered Israel, the northern kingdom. And they took everybody and displaced everybody, including the 
two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River. So by the time, by 722 B.C., that's a pretty good chunk of time, six centuries, they're gone. They're just, they just dissipate into the Middle East, displacement, other people coming in, displacing them. Now, in different parts of the world, there are Jewish communities that associate themselves as being part of the lost tribes of the east side. And there are rabbinical writings that give strong testimony of the genealogical records of Israel showing that they are, in fact, our descendants. And if you Google this stuff, it's fascinating. There are people like Armenia and these other places that have the Jewish blood, have the, the records that would show that they were part of the East tribe. And there's support for that argument, which is also very interesting to me because, of course, God knows where every ethnic Jew is on the planet because they're part of the end game before Jesus comes back. So I share all this because... This is the history of the two and a half tribes, probably at least a half million people who stayed on that side of the river. The context of how it began right here, what followed in the the immediate generation, the subsequent generation, subsequent generations, and throughout their history. So as we come back to the text tonight and we think about this, there's a very interesting phrase that jumps out to us, and we have to look at it. It's in verse 5. Do not take us over the Jordan. Wow. Just, wow. These are the people of promise. They've been on a death march for 38 years in the wilderness because they wouldn't enter in. And here these guys come together and they say, this is their request. They say to Moses, do not take us over the Jordan. Now, whatever they said before that is not what really matters, but we're still going to break it down. But just this phrase do not take us over the Jordan. Like a modern equivalent would be like for followers of Jesus Christ to say, do not let us enter into abundant life. Do not let us enter a spirit-filled life. Do not let us enter into walking by faith and living by grace. And that's what it's like. I mean, the promised land represents entering into everything God has for us in this life. It's the abundant life in Christ. So when they say, do not take us over the Jordan, that's what that's where all the promises were. Like everything God had for them, the be- his best for them, everything was on the other side of the Jordan River. That's where all the promises were fully yes and amen. And they're saying, do not give us all the promises. Just let us settle for this, this side. We've got a really good plan that we think our will is better than your will to stay on this side. Wow, what a phrase. Do not take us over the Jordan. Man, no wonder Moses got so upset. Like, you can, like, what did you learn in 38 years? You're going to discourage the people. It's like, what, are we even having this conversation? And like, no, 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 it's not like that. And he said, all right. They walked it back, but they stuck to what they wanted. They said, if we found favor in your eyes, do not take us over the Jordan. When we're tempted to not be faithful and pursue all that God has for us, when we're tempted to live by fear and unbelief, division and strife and carnality, it's like us saying, do not take us over the Jordan. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life is to move us from that which is destructive and holding us back and move us toward that which is life in Christ, preparing us for eternity and the abundant life and the joy unspeakable, that our joy would be full. We were singing a song with Scott earlier about, like, the joy. You change, you know, beauty to ashes, and all, that song had that in there. The promised land for them was the abundant life in Christ. We've been talking about this for us in the New Testament, in our covenant of love. And as I think about this, particularly as I'm coming up on my anniversary in uh, ministry, 
my, my wedding anniversary and my ministry anniversary are about the same time. And uh, I'm thinking, like, as I'm moving towards 60, my birthday as well, and all these years in ministry and listening to Odin Fong on Thursday morning up at Calvary Downey, you know, 50 years of Calvary experience, just pouring out wisdom upon all these pastors, just thinking about my place, our place in the Calvary Chapel movement, relationship with Brian Broderson, all the Calvary pastors and everything, and just where everything's at in our country right now, the body of Christ, the Calvary movement, just thinking about Vineyard and Lonnie Frisbee and all this stuff, because of course, Odin uh, brought up Lonnie Frisbee quite a bit, and it was, just all, it was all very good. Everything he was saying was very positive. In fact, he says he never watches the news. He just gets up and reads his Bible and says, what do you have for me today, Lord? And I was like, oh, I figured that out at 60, so I'm 10 years ahead of Odin, because that's what the Lord showed me. And like, don't, don't read, don't watch, don't look. Just This is the only news I got for you. This is the news I have for you. You know, and seriously, that I, I can't tell you how enjoyable the last few weeks have been. I can't, don't know. And uh, when, I, when I need to know, the Lord will let me know. Uh, but in the meantime, I just know, like, this is what I have for you with me and your characters. I have for you with your wife. This is what I have for you with your children, your children's children, your guinea pigs and everything else, you know. And, and, and your father and all this is what I got. You know, we got all these moving parts, the WG and outreach missions and everything. This is what I have for you. So that's, that's your news. That's my news for you. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because it's good news always, what God has. But as we think about this, that when they say, don't, don't, don't. Don't take us over this Jordan. And before that, they said, give us, you know, they, they said, give us this land. They're, they're, they're selling themselves short, so they're selling for something way less. Give us this land, but don't take us over to that. And I thought, again, approaching 33 years as a Calvary pastor and stuff and all these things, I'm thinking like, how many times in ministry have I met with people as a pastor in 33 years? in different time zones, under different circumstances, in my own life, in my late 20s, meeting with people at Calvary Vista when they came in for counseling. Look at me, I look like this little kid. And uh, I would just share the Bible, right? And then, and then going to Virginia and being the young minister and everyone wanted to tell me what I should be doing as, as a church and suit and tie people and all this kind of stuff. And, and then eventually going to Vermont and then coming back and then coming to Costa Mesa all those years and then being here and and all the times ministering to people and trying to encourage them, build, build them up. And I, I got to thinking, like, what you really do in ministry as a pastor is try and encourage people to get from the east side of the Jordan to the west side of the Jordan. To not settle for what's on this side, but to get over to that side. To not settle for what God's already done, but to cross over triumphantly and get after all that God wants to do. And that's what ministry is. Like, expand your vision, expand your kingdom, expect great things from God, and attempt great things for God. Because God is great. And so often that's what ministry is. It's like people are burdened by what's got them in bondage and got them stuck on the east side of the Jordan River. And it's like, break out of those chains. Let's, let's go. Come on. We got to go this way. Well, things are pretty good over here. We, that's, that's nothing. That's like black and white TV. We, you know, we need to go over here. Like I got my headphones from two years ago. My wife's like, those are nothing. You need these headphones. You know, little, little ear guys, right? I'm like, she put them on like, wow, I can hear like I got a hearing aid on right now. She goes, that's what you need to be using when you're talking on the phone, so I don't have to listen to you on speaker when you walk around the house. Like, the upgrade. Let's get the upgrade. We don't want to say, oh, don't make us cross the Jordan. I'm feeling pretty good where I'm at with the Lord at the age of 50 or 40 or 30 or whatever. Or 70, Odin Fong and Pancho Juarez, uh, who also are turning 70 in February. Like, let's just be, be happy where we're at at 70. No, we got we to gotta enter in. 
Because we saw the last year, a lot of people just said, I'm pretty content over here. I can do church like this. I mean, you know, it's kind of cool. It's like just turn on the TV and, you know, it's like, and people do that. And that's fine. I'm not putting that down. But I think a lot of people determine they're going to settle for less on this side of the Jordan than those who said, we got to get over and get in. But you're here because you want to get over and get in. So I'm not really saying that about us. But lest we become discouraged, as the Bible says, we want to enter in. We want to get to that side. Man, we got we to gotta enter in. I mean, I had a great time with Odin Fong. I love Odin Fong. I really do. I mean, I'm so, I'm so passionate. He's more like the Zen master. When Odin Fong's speaking, I feel like I'm in Tibet. And he's just like, just dropping all these Calvary wisdoms, you know, being 30 years by Chuck's side and all this. I was like, oh, oh, great, Odin. Tell us another keen insight in the word of God. And he just drops like, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, my notes. I'm just like going like this, you know. And he's a, he's a contrast to me. And he's at 70. And he's just like, he's still growing. He's still entering in. I'm still growing. So as we continue to go forward in this year, we don't want to say, don't make us cross the Jordan. That's hard. Going, going on a mission trip or doing this or letting go of that and turning, turning away from this. And like, there are things. Back in the early 2000s, there was that book called Do Hard Things. Those two high school kids, whatever, wrote it. And all of our youth group read it like 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Do hard things. Yeah, because... That's part of the process. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be transforming what God's doing. And if we stay on the east side of the Jordan River, we're stunted in our growth. We got to go. And even though those guys went and won those battles, they're a part of it, it must have been weird fighting battles for the promised land when you're not going to go there. And how strange it was when they did that because when they got back to their side of the river, like, hey, we suddenly realized in the extent of this division that our decision... To stay on this side could cause problems for our offspring down the road. We need to build this altar of witness because we suddenly feel like we realize now there's a river that's between us and them, and they're really over there, and we're over here, and we're outside the castle and the fort. Like in Russia, you know, the, Krem- the Kremlin's a fort, if you don't know what Kremlin means. And there's Kremlins all over Russia. And there when I was in Nizhny Novgorod on the, the, the Volga River, the, the Huns, well, the, Mo- the Mongols came this way in the 1100s, the 1200s, and they just did everything they did. And then the Swedes came down from the north and all this stuff. So the way the river rolls through Nizhny Novgorod, it's a couple million people, is there was a, a monastery where the Russian Orthodox you know, monks and those guys were. I went to that monastery. It was incredible to be there and see these paintings from like 800 years ago. But they would guard the north end of the river, and if they saw stuff coming from the north, like Vikings and stuff like that, they would run a mile and a half to the Kremlin, and the Kremlin's on the hill. It's still there in, in Nizhny Novgorod today. You, you'd walk about 2,000 steps to go up to it. It's so high up on the hill over the Volga River. Incredible view. But that's the Kremlin. And all the surrounding people that live in the village, when there was raiders, they would all go inside the Kremlin, right? Well, that's that side of the Jordan. No one wants to be outside the Kremlin when the Mongols are coming. Genghis Khan and his descendants, right? That's the idea. They got back from the war and they realized, we're outside the Kremlin. We're outside our boundaries. And we're exposed here. So we need to build a witness so when we're in trouble, they'll come help us. Which, of course, I said, King Saul did hundreds of years later. We don't want to come short. And as I think about the human experience in ministry in the body of Christ for 33 years, I realize so often people settle for second best. And that's the east side of the Jordan River. I settle for second best, and I don't want to settle for second best. This is the last year of my life. I don't want to settle for second best. I don't want to settle for less than all that God has for me. 
I want to pursue completely everything on the east side, the west side of the Jordan River, and get off the east side. And so I think about people settling for second best with decisions concerning jobs, school, churches, relationships, life itself. I actually said this the other day. It's one of my life sayings. I have learned in the human experience, people will take a known dysfunction over a step of faith toward a healthier function. People will take a known dysfunction that they know how to function in over a step of faith toward a healthier function because it's what they don't know that they're afraid of, the steps of faith not yet seen. And they'll take dysfunction that they understand and function within dysfunction over the step of faith to the next thing. That's like, don't take us across the Jordan. And, you know, in ministry, like, God, we can do this. You can do this. You can turn from this. You can go forward from this. This can all go this way. It's like, well, this is, this is what I want to do with my life. And in ministry, you watch a lot of people make really bad decisions, like staying on this side of the Jordan, and that's what they want to do. And with self-determination, they do it, and God doesn't force it upon them the better decision. You know, we were talking about this earlier on in numbers, like Sam and I, you know, the plan B, you know, like, or permissive will. I'm like, that's just too, that's too theological for me. I just know there's plan A is on that side of the Jordan, and plan B is on this side. So get yourself over on the other side of the river and go get what God has for you. For years, my hashtag was get after it, right? Hashtag get after it, because it's not going to just land in your lap. You got, you got to get after it. We have to get after it. We got to, we got to get over. And I don't want to have victory over here to go back to somewhere over there. I want to have victory over here because this is where the best is on this side. That's the abundant life. That's the full life Christ has for us. And that's a, a principle we see here. We need to enter in on personal integrity, everything in the life experience. That's what we need to do. And we can't stay on this side and say, don't take us over the Jordan. We can't. And as we look at these guys on this side of the Jordan, let's think about a couple of things that they were considering because this, this is something we could easily do. First of all, the circumstances for their contentment because they were content to stay on that side of the Jordan. And the circumstances were favorable for contentment. I, have, I must say at 60, there is something very appealing about their situation, right? What do they got? Lots of livestock. <laughs> some people are smart with the stock market. Some people are smart with... Um, Real estate, some people are smart with precious metals, some people are smart with running corporations, and you know, you get 100 widgets and you make a dollar off each widget, and then you know how to do 100,000 widgets, you make that much more money, right? Like, some people are just really smart in certain ways, and you, if someone builds wealth, they built wealth, God gave them wealth. They're on the east side going like, look at this, man, we got, we got square miles. We've got, it, it looks like central California in the spring, everything's green, it's like the Hollister Ranch when it's green. It's like, oh, look at this, man. Look, green hills, cows, no enemies. Like, why are we going over there? We don't know what's over there. We know what's here. It says that they had a lot of livestock in verse 1. A lot of livestock. And what does livestock need? Land that's good for livestock. What was on the east side? Land that's good for livestock. You see that? So their circumstances were favorable. Their circumstances were comfortable. Their circumstances look like a good decision if you don't have the other bigger decision, what God already said, to enter into everything on the other side. If you're a carnal man or a carnal woman, you're like, hey, we got rich in livestock, and look what livestock needs, and we got miles everywhere. This looks good. Why are we going to invest more? Why are we going to risk future stocks that we don't know what they're going to perform like when we've got these stocks that we know perform this way? Lots of cattle, lots of green hills. And the other leaders from the tribes are like, I see your point. 
Like, think of all the biblical names like Elijah and Isaiah and all these different names. Like, the, the names they would have had, like, yes, it's just, you know, and it's a great idea. Look at this. Of course, we have all this cattle and all this land. It says they have a lot of livestock, and the land is good for livestock. Which brings us to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Just because something looks good, looks really good, financially good, doesn't necessarily mean it is good. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's evil to fall for it. Because you, really, like, you can't really say it was an evil thing that they stayed on that side. They chose to come up short. And the consequences played out. But Moses says, like, he's, when they engage Moses, he's not like saying, you guys are in sin. You'll never come back from this. It's like, it's like the hardest women of, uh, through Balaam and Balak's counsel. No, no it's not. It's just him saying, we got lots of cattle, and there's lots of green acreage here. And we think we know what's best for our life, and we think we'll do really good on this side of the Jordan River. They walked according to their own counsel. They went by what they saw and what they knew. And that's devoid of faith, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And we need to walk by faith, for without faith it's impossible to please God. And we need to challenge ourselves on a day-to-day basis to live by faith. And I often tell the story when I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa that there was a particular Sunday when Carlos Ayub was there at the time because we had been at Vista together previously back in the 80s. And he was doing the Spanish ministry at the time. He was terrified to get in Chuck's pulpit for anything. Because Pastor Chuck used to, remember we'd come out and we'd sit on the little pews and there's Chuck, you're like, oh, I'm not here with Chuck, you know, and then Chuck would get up, oh, good morning and all, and sing a hymn. But he would have someone pray, and then someone would do the announcements. And, and Carlos was just terrified to ever go out there. He's just like, oh, man, it's Chuck. Here comes Chuck out of his office. Like, don't look at Chuck, don't look at Chuck. You know, I'm like, look at Chuck, he's just Chuck, man. He's just, just relaxed, man. Everything's good, you know, like, it's all good. Chuck's good. Um, but Carlos was more, more comfortable praying than doing announcements. But I was very comfortable doing announcements I'd be like, come on. Oh, I love first service at Calvary Coast to Mesa. Like, are you with me? And I was like, what, what, what? You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to you. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it was great. Because my gift is exhortation, so announcements is a, is a good fit. But for whatever reason, it's kind of silly, but when I would pray, I always thought, what's Chuck thinking in my prayer right now? Like, you wouldn't think that. But like, you know, you're here and they're all out there and they're, they've been there for 30 years and you're like the young guy. And it's like, you're like, oh, Lord. I'm like, oh, what a stupid beginning for a prayer. Oh, Lord. You're like, is that a psalm or something? Like, is Chuck impressed? Are they impressed? You're like, I, but doing announcements, like, come on, you people, let's go to the Silver Saints and get fired up for Jesus. You know, like, like that was my wheelhouse. But Carlos liked to pray, and I like to do announcements. I'm like, hey, Carlos, we need to live by faith. We don't want to sleepwalk through these three services today. So why don't I pray and you do the announcements? Well, no, like, I got a cup of coffee right here. Things are just going good. It's autopilot right down the 405. You know, like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be nervous all three services if I need to pray, and it's going to make me cling to the Lord more today if I'm praying in front of Chuck. And you're going to be terrified to do announcements. So let's switch so we'll cling to the Lord all day for six hours instead of sleepwalking through church service tonight or today. He's like, yeah, that's it. Okay, let's do it. All right, it's a covenant. One, two, three, let's go. And so the idea is faith. You've got cattle, there's green fields, but that, that doesn't require the faith on that side. we got to get after. We need to take as... 
the video was in the book, Ventures of Faith. We need to be looking at 2021 with Ventures of Faith. I love it when we come in here and we see the new stage, shorelines and all this stuff, because we see a future and a hope for the body of Christ. We see a church that's growing numerically, growing spiritually, growing financially. That's what we see. We don't see the church dying in 2021. We see the church getting stronger, and so should you. Because Jesus hasn't changed. I mean, our world's changed, but has Jesus changed? It means he owns the universe. So when we think about the circumstances of contentment, even God warned the children of Israel, when you come in the land, you inherit all this stuff, and it's been good crops, you'll be like, man, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna say like, wow, man, whew, cruise it. You don't want to do that. Remember the parable of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke? Tell my brother to give me my estate. He's like, hey, listen, told the parable of the rich man. He says, oh, I've done well. I've, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns because I have so much wealth. He's like, you foolish man, tonight your soul will be required of you. There's never a cruise control with the Lord. There's never a, 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 a contentment on the east side of the Jordan River. There's contentment and peace with the Lord, but not contentment to come short of what God has on the other side and the adventures of the other side. We don't want to come up short and miss what Jesus has for us. I mean, the book of Acts is so exciting because it's people just going for it and being available and supernatural things happening. And that's, that's, what we, that's who we want to be. That's who we are, but that's who we want to be even more of. In our integrity, our growth as a person, our growth as a church, and the fruit of our ministry as we keep moving toward eternity. I don't know what worship generation will be five years from now, but I know what it is today, and that's what we're going forward from, just like my personal life and your personal life. we gotta, we got to acknowledge the Lord in all things, and we need to be looking for opportunities to walk by faith, to live by faith, and exercise faith, because we don't want to get content and comfortable on the wrong side of the Jordan River. We need to be stirred up and challenged. We cannot let comforting circumstances desensitize us to challenging adventures that the Lord wants to do in our life. Because we grow through trials. We grow through steps of faith that are beyond us. I got Pasha's newsletter from Russia. And all during this COVID, where no one seems to be able to go anywhere, he seems to be able to go wherever he wants to in Russia. Siberia, adventures in Siberia to these villages that no one goes to. Then going down to the Black Sea with like 60 youth kids from different calvaries. Going down there to Abbasakaya and doing ministry there in the former Georgia Republic, which is still kind of disputed over who actually owns it. And just doing ministry, and I saw the photos, and I was reading this news, I was like, I mean, this, this and it was this Russian English, is like, it's a great adventure, comrade. It's a great adventure with Jesus. Go for it. Car broke down in Serbia, but no worries. Jesus on throne. Car get fixed by Sergi at only gas station 100 miles away. Great time with Jesus in cold weather. <laughs> it's right there in the newsletter. I'm like, man, I'm not sure I'm signing up for Siberia in cold weather and surgery down the road 100 miles to fix our car. But you know what? If you're there, you're like, that's all part of the adventure. That's all part of crossing the Jordan River. He's actually coming to America. I, I don't know how he's coming to America, but he's coming to America in a few weeks. So many of you will get a chance to meet Pasha. I'm sure he'll visit us for at least the service. But not to be content, but to seek wisdom on what God has for us to do. Not to, not to lean on our own understanding. And if God confirms what seems practical, good. Because a lot of times, you know, like God is pretty practical in a lot of things. But still, we don't want to presume it because that's what Joshua did with the Gibeonites and made the covenant, and that was a bad decision in the book of Joshua. We, just, we need to just acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways and, and not settle for the circumstance of contentment on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Also, we notice in verse 5, that was verse 1, those things, the livestock, they had it, and they had, the, they had the, the things to build their wealth. We're all there on that side, on the east side. But then it says in verse 5 where they said, 
uh, it, let, us, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. This, that's before they said, do not take us over the Jordan. So the request is, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. And this is the request of their choice. They had a, ch- a choice. It's kind of like when your adult children say, well, I'm going to do this anyways. And you feel like, God, you know, like I'm just, I'm not feeling this decision. And those of you with adult children, you're like, what are you going to do? But they're going to make decisions. They're going to want to go to this college. They're going to want to date this person. They're going to want to marry that person. They're going to want to do this. They're going to do that. They want to, it's just different things. And as an adult, as parents of adult children making decisions, you learn this, you pray, and you just got to trust that the Lord will guide them and lead them and direct them. But these guys came and they made this decision, and this is, this is their decision. This is the wisdom of these leaders representing hundreds of thousands of people that are going to stay on that side of the Jordan River, and they're making a choice. They're making a choice on behalf of themselves, on behalf of their marriages, on behalf of their children, on behalf of their tribes, on behalf of the people they govern. They're making choices. Like when you watch like movies about shipping, like, you know, every ship is a city, right? Like the captain's like a mayor and it runs like a city. And you, you read about World War II and like Bull Halsey and his fleet and all this, you know, his typhoon, all the stuff they went through and all these things. And, and you realize like how captains, if you had a good captain, it would help you in World War II in the South Pacific. If you had a bad captain, you'd probably get torpedoed, right? Like you, you want good leadership, you want, you want capable, competent leadership at the top of your, where you're at work. Whoever your boss is, you prefer that. But that's not always the case. But you want spiritual leadership. So we can be spiritual leadership. We can't make our boss be spirit-filled, but we can be spirit-filled. So we can, as we think about decisions that people make, and we have decisions we make that have affected our children, and now maybe when our kids are 30, because I have a daughter that's 30, you think, man, if I could go back and do that over again, I'd do it completely different. I'm always apologizing to Luke for like, dude, I was so hard on you with baseball and everything. I'm like, dude, it's like, you thought you were playing for the Dodgers in the World Series or something. I was just like, well, throw strikes! You know, just like, he's like, that is all cool, man. I do throw strikes, and you taught me to throw strikes, so it worked out fine. I'm like, yeah, but dude, I'm sorry. It's all right, man. You made me who I am. You know, it's like, I don't know, but I just, I'd bring it down a few gears if I could go back and redo that. I'll be better with the grandkids, I promise. There's nothing worse than a grandpa at T-ball, like, swing at the ball, swing at the ball! <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, grand, grandpa's at T-ball, like, way to go, way to go, Wilkie, little buddy. <laughs> but when you're a dad, you're like, little, pivot the hips, man, you're dipping, you're dipping on the fastball. <laughs> You'd like to go back and do it again, but you don't get to, right? But if you're still alive, you can fix what is and make it better for what's going to be. We all make choices and decisions, and we live with those choices and those decisions, and we're watching our adult kids do it, and we do it as well. And we can't go back and change things, but we can do the best we can for the future. And we can be the spirit-filled person in the situation. I got it. I've been sharing this. It, it fits in any context of what I'm talking about, because it's one of those things when Odin Fong shared this the other day. Uh, the, I just, he just said, he was talking to all these Calvary pastors, and he, and, and he said, look, education's good, and it's very desirable but being spirit-filled is more important. If you're spirit-filled and educated, that's a great combination. But if you're not spirit-filled and you're educated, it's worthless. And he says, the most important thing is to be spirit-filled. And he said, by the way, if you're spirit-filled, you realize you access the totality of the mind of God for everything in your life. And he brought it about to the wisdom of God. And he said, if you want wisdom, do you realize if you're spirit-filled, you have all the wisdom of the universe? I was like, I never thought of it that way. But James tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. But don't be double-minded. So I was like, wait a second. I'm seeing like, 
I never thought of that way because you want to build wisdom and equity from other people that are smarter than you and feels that they have of expertise. And so I'm always downloading files from other people like Chris with real estate or Susan with business or Steve with stocks and stuff like that. I'm always downloading public education, talking to Patrick. I download information to gain wisdom to understand things in a, in a better way for what I'm called to do. But I'm like, well, that's great and that's wonderful. I can tap into their wisdom. But what's even better is I get on my knees and I got all the wisdom I need for anything. So when we think about the decisions we make, we can let the Lord guide us in our decisions. We want to make really good decisions. When we make a request for a choice, because God lets us make choices, when we're going to say, hey, we want to make this decision. Are we going to cross over? Or we, want to, or we make this decision like, hey, we want to stay here because we have lots of livestock and the land is really good for livestock. And we like, if we found favor in your eyes, can we do that? When, when you make those kind of requests, we want to make those requests with the wisdom of God and the mind of God because we can't go back and fix previous bad mistakes. We can't make adult children make good decisions with their lives other than praying for them. But what we can do is make the right decisions for our lives to bring blessings upon them as we're moving toward eternity. That's what we can do. So the responsibility of the choices we make and that we make them with wisdom, and again, going back to leaning not on our understanding by what we see and what we know, but really like, let's think about what we're, what we're deciding to do here. What are we deciding to do here? We're actually going to Moses and we're asking him to let us stay on this side of the promised land. Do you realize he might just blow a gasket? Like, because of what happened 38 years ago. But what is different? We just got to frame it right. We got to present it properly. It's, it's how we're framing it when we present it to him. Okay, well, you present it then. God gives us these choices. And we can't change the choices that we'd like to redo from the past, but we can definitely request the right choices, the big decisions to, to take, to, to acknowledge the Lord and to make our choices, like I was saying earlier, moving toward faith and greater challenges, to do hard things. Not like we have to manufacture it because God will bring it our way anyways. Life will. But that we're making choices like me and Carlos years ago at Big Calvary. Let's choose to live by faith. Let's choose to take steps of faith. Let's see what the Lord might do. We can't settle for contentment on the wrong side, but we have to pursue passionately and intentionally everything that God has on the other side. So let's keep moving toward and embracing the upward call of God and the challenges of a new year and the things that God wants to do in our life. Do not settle for contentment on the wrong side of the Jordan River. It looks good, and, and it, it is good in its own way. Because in the end, as we've been saying, as we've been looking through the wilderness wandering, our decisions will affect the future for us and our loved ones. And the warning that Moses gave, I close with this thought where he said, he warned them about like not wholly following the Lord, about stumbling people, about discouraging people. Uh, about bringing God's tasting on them, causing people to turn away from following the Lord and destroying these people. Look at the last thing he said there in verse 15. He says, you will destroy all these people. That, that's high stakes. But if we're entering into everything on the east side, on the west side of the Jordan River from the east side, we're not going to destroy anybody. We're going to build up people. And I was talking to my wife about this today, about I know people in this church and in many cases, they've sacrificed so much for ministry and what they've done for the Lord and the sacrifices they've made. And maybe they've lived with family for years so they could be in ministry. And that can be a little, you know, living with in-laws or whatever and different things. Just, man, just different stuff. Like when you're buying groceries and 
You have 60 bucks for the week and all the things that we've been through. And when you move your family, I told Jennifer, you know, when we got in that car in 1991 from 885 East Vista Way with Hannah at nine months and a dog, we went to Virginia not knowing what was going to happen. And we went for it. We totally went for it. And that, that, you don't know this, but spiritually it passes on to your descendants. We didn't stay comfortable on this side. We went to that side. When we went to Vermont, we passed that on to Timothy, who was six weeks old at the time. Six months, uh, no, he was six weeks old when we moved to Vermont. Like, we passed that on. Like, you, the kids are little and they don't even know, but they receive a, an equity of a spiritual inheritance. They don't even know where they got it from. But when their parents took the steps of faith and they went to this country and they made these sacrifices and they're all in, it, it's passed on. It becomes a legacy to your children. It becomes a legacy to the people you lead in ministry and your influence on people. It just, it passes on to everybody. When you show people steps of faith and ventures of faith on the west side of the Jordan River, you pass it on to the next generation. You don't need to be on the east side saying, we better build a memorial so no one forgets about us because you're right in the center of the promised land doing what God's called you to do. You don't need to build a witness of memorial. Some contractor says, don't forget about us. We're still in the trust. You don't need to do that because you're right there thriving in the kingdom. And you pass it on to your children. That's the beauty of steps of faith. They might choose to walk with the Lord. They may not, but you, you gave them the heritage and you've given it to them. And, it, and it's, it's there. It's an equity. And it may not be prospering right now, but it'll prosper later. It'll prosper. Hannah lives by faith, our oldest daughter, the pastor's wife. And you say, how did you end up with it? Listen, that was from the very beginning when we got in that car and drove 3,000 miles with a nine-month-old. That was all in her DNA. It's in her equity. But it's on the west side of the Jordan. So may we be encouraged for more steps of faith, more adventures of faith. We do not want to destroy anybody. Do not destroy these people by staying in complacency or or settling for less. We want to encourage people. We want to be like Joshua and Caleb and wholly follow the Lord and not suffer something less on the east side of the Jordan River. So as you seek the Lord this weekend, as you seek the Lord going forward this week in a new month, may God guide you and guide us in fresh visions of, of new ventures of faith, new ways to apply our prayer life to circumstances around us, n- new ways to just consider the kingdom and our place in the kingdom and whatever's going on in our personal life and decisions we're having to make that are critical to affect our future, may God be over all of it. May it not be based upon the livestock you have or don't have or the hills that can feed them, but it may be just based upon that you want to get from this side to that side because that's where it all is on that side. Amen?